Holy Spirit, as you spoke through your word so long ago, speak through your word now, and speak through my words that they might be yours, and that you might continually point us to our Savior, who lived and died and rose for us, and in his name we pray, amen. There's a term that has been used or emerged in the last five years or so. Some of you would probably be familiar with it once I say it or, or talk a bit about it. It's used by adults, and I would say mostly younger adults, and they use the term when they talk about doing tasks that adults do, that grown-ups do. So uh, some people might go register their vehicle for the first time, from parents to, to them, and, and then uh, hashtag this word or uh, do their taxes, or cook, or some other adult-like task, especially doing it for the first time. So some of you have heard the new verb, you might say, that English language lends itself well towards making up new verbs. And the verb is what? Adulting. Yes, maybe you've, you've been familiar. I know that's hard to see. Maybe you can get the pictures. So you can do a brief internet search and find many things on Adulting 101, including public libraries in different states that have had Adulting 101 classes on things like uh, managing money, uh, that says get up to date on your shots, uh, change a flat tire, and you know basic money stuff, manage your time, those kind of what you'd say is adult-like things. Now that's a more serious one. Here's, here's a bit more of a comical uh, adulting version. Here's our stickers you can get when you do adult-like things. And, and you know, give yourself a sticker, like eat a vegetable. Uh, showered, get off the couch by noon, did the dishes, didn't wear yoga pants, uh, saw a real doctor, not WebMD. Uh, there's one that's blank because it's not appropriate for all ages, so that's covered up. But adulting stickers, so, so you're familiar with the, the verb that people, it's, it's about doing the things that adults do. Well, this next series that we're going to start today, it's going to take us a number of weeks it, we're going to call not adulting, but discipling, and it's about doing the things that disciples do. It, it's the act of being a disciple of Jesus. So discipling isn't, it is about discipling. We often use that term talking about other people, influencing other people, but first and foremost, like adulting, it's doing the things that you do as, as that kind of person. Discipling is doing the things that you do as a disciple of Jesus, doing disciple-like things. And the first time Jesus gathers his disciples and speaks to them, he gives them, you might say, is the discipling manifesto or, or the first installment of that. And it gets called, not by Jesus, but by people after it later, call it the Sermon on the Mount. So you might be familiar with the term, that even the, where it is, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So we started around before Christmas at Matthew 1, and, and we're really going all the way through now into 5, 6, and 7. It's going to take, a, take us through Lent and, and spend time on Wednesdays as well. So we're going to camp out here for a while. There's a lot there. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' first major teaching, but also is most well-known. If somebody... Uh, isn't familiar with Jesus at all, they probably still can say some phrases that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, even without knowing that it's him who said it. And people have been chewing on what Jesus said here, really since he said it, 2,000 years ago, and still haven't figured it all out or haven't definitively you know, figured it all out. So 
in a way, it keeps working on us as we are disciples and discipling. So, first of all, how do we get there? In the last few weeks, we looked at Jesus saying to different disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. So he's calling disciples, but in asking him to follow, he said, no, I'm the one that's actually working on you and forming you. So he's calling people and he starts doing great miracles and healing, and so then people, uh, he's on their radar now. People are following him and, and checking him out. And so uh, here's the, we didn't read this verse today, but... We read it last week, and it's the verse right before chapter 5. And so as Jesus is healing and doing all these things, it says, great crowds followed him from, and if you were to put you know, Jesus here on a map, it's every direction, Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, beyond the Jordan, every direction, great crowds from all over are following him. And then it says, here's what we had in Matthew 5, verse 1, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And he sat down, and his disciples came to him. So there's two groups of people following Jesus right now. Who are they? Crowds and disciples. So our first good question is, which one are you and which one am I? A crowd or a disciple? Are you just checking Jesus out? Or are you a follower? Are you just curious about Jesus but you'd rather you know, stand on the sideline and watch, or, or, or are you with him, listening, wanting to do what he says? Are, are you part of the curious crowd, or are you a devoted disciple? Now, I think many of us w- would quickly say, well, well, of course, I'm a disciple. Yes, of, of course. And yes, if you trust in Jesus, you're absolutely a disciple. If you've been baptized, washed, forgiven, and if the forgiveness of Jesus through his death and resurrection sounds like good news to you, then yes, you're a disciple, absolutely. Faith is a gift from God. However, every time I read this, it it makes me wonder something. Because if I'm honest with myself, even though I am a disciple, and I would say yes every time to that question, there's still a part of me that gets cold feet when Jesus asks me to do something hard. If I'm honest with myself, there there are times when my heart sort of wants to act like a fair-weather fan of Jesus rather than a devoted disciple, sitting at his feet, ready to listen, ready to do what he says. So there's there's a part of me that wants to follow Jesus on my terms when it's convenient for me, and as long as it doesn't cost me too much. And maybe at times that's you. So I think it's still fair to ask ourselves, am I acting more like the crowd following Jesus, wanting to see cool things, see his miracles, see him do cool things, or, or am I acting like a disciple? Or, to verb it, are you crowding or are you discipling? So here it says, Jesus Saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, sat down, his disciples came to him, and then it says he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So he gathers, there's the crowds, and who comes closer to him? Not the crowds, but his disciples. And then he opened his mouth and taught them. So he teaches his disciples, those, those that have come close, those that have followed, those that want to be there, want to hear, and are with him. And it says he opened his mouth and taught them. Now, Matthew has already told us a few things about Jesus. 
when he announces that, that he's going to be born, the angel appears to Joseph and says, you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. We already know that Jesus is called the Savior to save people from sins. So his disciples, guess what, are sinners. And Matthew has already told us that his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. So when this Savior, God with us, comes, gathers disciples, opens his mouth for the first time, what does he say? What is the first thing he says when he teaches his disciples? He says, blessed, blessed. The first thing Jesus does to his gathered disciples is that he blesses them. And I think it, uh, it, it'd be easy to gloss over this, especially if we're familiar. It's a big deal. We already know that Jesus is saving people from their sins. So you might first call people sinners. But no, he, he blesses them. He doesn't curse them. He doesn't judge them. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't first give them rules, chores, guidelines. Yes, there are guidelines later in the sermon. But the first thing he does is bless them. Jesus gives them good news, not good advice. He doesn't say, you all gather around, come close, and I'm going to give you the secret map to the buried treasure. Right? Everybody would come close because we all want secret map, right, to buried treasure. And, he, and if he said, I have the secret map to, to the buried treasure of the universe, and that is if you live good enough or at least uh, you live you know, better than you are bad, you know, 51, 49, you know what, you'll be okay God will accept you. Life will go pretty well. Just, you know, be pretty good. He doesn't say that. He says, you, he could have said, you know, you people, I don't know why I'm here. You guys have messed up the world so much. I really shouldn't be doing this. He doesn't say that either. Jesus blesses. When you first come near to Jesus, he blesses you. And whether for you that was as a very young child in baptism or as an adult, when, however the, the Holy Spirit gripped your heart with the gospel, when you were first drawn to Jesus, I'm pretty sure it was his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness that drew you. Jesus blesses you. And then what's the, the rest of that first blessing he gives? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I think this is a slight overstatement, but I think if Jesus never said anything else in his ministry, we would probably still have enough just from this. This tells us who he is, what he's done, how much God loves us. This first blessing, we call them beatitudes, that just means blessings, it says it all. It tells you why Jesus would come from his heavenly throne to live with us, God with us, to live, die, rise for Why would he do any of that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And yes, he's talking about the future, but he's talking about right here, right now. And so if, if you walk away with just this one verse today, or even from all the things Jesus said, you walk away with the gospel. You see, here Jesus is gathering people that, that have felt worn and beat down and in his day, people that are very poor and, and suffer in many ways. And Jesus says, I come bringing the kingdom of God. And he comes telling you that, that God's view of the world, the lenses through which God looks and sees the world, is nothing like what you might be tempted to think. 
Because we don't live in a world that, that says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But Jesus does. Jesus says, blessed are those who are worn, who are tired. Who, blessed are those who have, who have messed up. Blessed are those who have sinned and failed. Guess what? I have come for you. Jesus is saying, when you have come to the end of yourself, it's actually not the end of yourself. Something good happens. When you come to the end of yourself and all you can do is throw yourself on the mercies of God, something powerful happens because you receive the mercy of God. And you find out that Jesus has come for the poor in spirit. Except that's not how we're used to seeing the world work, right? We're not used to hearing things like this. We're actually... And we know it so well, we don't even have to say it in many ways. We're used to hearing things like, blessed are the rich because they can have everything they want. Or, blessed are the professional athletes and actors for they have fame and fortune. Or, uh, when it's cold and wintry and you're inside a lot, you might think, blessed are the healthy and fit for they don't mind being seen in a bathing suit. Or blessed are those who, who work hard, they will be re- rewarded. Or, or blessed are those who have their life in order because, you know, they won't make any big mistakes and, and their kids will always make them proud. But yet, here, here's Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, are those who don't have it all together. God is coming close to you. Blessed are those who know that they've screwed up, but that's exactly who I came for. Blessed are those who feel like failures, I am near to you. And blessed are those who feel crushed, I am for you. See, this this is the gospel. Jesus is for the poor in spirit, those who don't have it together. And in fact, Jesus is, is much closer to those who know they are helpless and say, God, help me. And so when you and I are poor in spirit, crushed, inadequate, Jesus is near. And that's when we are, in some ways, the, the best soil for the gospel to take root because we realize there's nothing that we, we have done, but it's Jesus, by his mercy, by his grace, that makes us his own and uses us to point others to the grace that we have in him. So I think this first blessing or beatitude is the lens through which we see the whole rest of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the whole rest of, of the Sermon on the Mount, and certainly the whole rest of the other blessings. And so we're, really, we're only going to get through this one today. But next week we're going to pick up the rest of the Beatitudes or blessings and then, and then go from there. But Jesus here lays out the gospel up front. He gathers his disciples and tells them, look, the end of yourself isn't the end of life. It's actually the beginning. The end of yourself is actually the beginning of your true self in Jesus. The end of your own pride, the end of your own self-reliance and self-righteousness is actually the beginning of trusting God and God working in you. And so when you get to the point where you see yourself as the poor in spirit, you trust in Jesus for everything, and then you realize you already have everything in Jesus. That's why He came from heaven to earth to bring his kingdom of grace. And so Jesus calls his disciples, brings them near, and he first blesses them. And then Jesus rejects his royal throne in heaven to take up the throne of the cross of his suffering for you and for me. 
And so Jesus does for his disciples what we could never do for ourselves. If nothing else today, hear Jesus' words for you. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everything Jesus said, everything he's done, it's yours because of Jesus. Amen.